HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by craftbeer.com, dedicated to small and independent U.S. craft brewers. For more information, visit craftbeer.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome to The Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. Our guest is Adam Sachs, editor-in-chief of Savor Magazine. We'll talk to Adam about what else, all things wine and food. We'll also taste the Savor Selects Petite Syrah for our weekly wine sip. I'm Sam Ben Ruby. Stay with us for The Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. Adam Sachs is editor-in-chief of Savor Magazine, a magazine dedicated to food, drink, travel, style, and home. He joined Savor in 2014 and has steered the magazine towards telling deep, elegantly written stories about what makes food so meaningful to people all over the world. Adam also has received three James Beard Awards for his writing, which ain't too shabby. Welcome to the Grape Nation, Adam. Thanks, Sam. Happy to be here. Before I get into your background, I want to start because you have an interesting background. You have a test kitchen at the office. You go to a lot of chef dinners. You attend festivals. I just saw you down at the Charleston uh, Wine and Food Festival. Right. So my question is, why are you not a fat schlub? Because <laughs> you're not. <laughs> this is radio, right? Yes. Uh, yeah, I'm uh, clocking in at uh, even 99 pounds. And, uh, Looking shy. I, I, I don't, uh, I, 
fat? Let's just find fat. But I'm, I'm sucking in my, in my gut. We're sitting but here. But you are around the, so much food. You yeah. have to be somewhat disciplined. I'm not at all. I, I've, I've been writing about food for a fair number of years now, and I've never been one of those people at a tasting or a review when I used to do that who could just have one bite and kind of think about it and process it and file it away. I finish things. If I like it, I finish things. Good for you. You have uh, a good metabolism. It's Yeah. It, there, I, 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 yeah. Thanks. <laughs> so that's a good segue. So I want to um, – you have an extensive background in traditional and digital publishing, certainly with a slant towards food. What I want you to do is talk a little about your background to the point, you know, where you're at Savor right now, Um, because you've been at some interesting places. So just give our audience a little quick background. I'll skip the I'll skip birth and grammar school and and all that bar mitzvah. Kentucky, uh, Kentucky. They have have bar mitzvahs in Kentucky. They do. No, they don't make a lot of great wine. They make a lot of good uh, corn whiskey down there. There you go. They do have bar mitzvahs. They do. Yeah, a few now and again. Uh, um, so I, I moved to New York uh, about a year after I graduated from college, and I had a, a somewhat vague idea that I wanted to work in journalism and some some sort of writing. Um, and I ended up uh, starting working a magazine that that folded and uh, was a fact checker at Condé Nast Traveler for a little while. Um, and when Time Out launched in '95, um, I wrote them a letter. I'd gone to school in London for a little while, so I was probably one of the you know not huge group of people who recognize that that brand from london yeah, for sure um and i luckily was this is pre-email i guess so i sent them a, a physical letter uh and i begged them for a job and they uh didn't have anyone else so they gave me a job and i ended up um editing the restaurant section there and i thought when i started that i would I was also helping edit a consumer section and writing for different sections and and um, doing some newsy stuff, and I didn't know that food would be the beat that I really fell in love with. But it was a great uh, restaurants were a great way to uh, discover the city, to write about um, the, the fall in love with the city, to get to know the city. Uh, restaurants as sport or the sociology of of uh, the the restaurant scene here, and then I think like a lot of people who write about food, I ended up feeling like I sort of fell more in love with food than restaurants. I still love to eat in restaurants, and I love the stories behind them, but I really wanted to find out where food came from, and I wanted to talk about the people who make it and the ingredients that, that uh, you know make it come together. Um, so I left Time Out. I was there for about two and a half years, and it was a great introduction to New York and a great introduction to... Were they, they were fledgling? They were building it up? I they mean, were you new, were part yeah. of... Yeah, I, I, came, I wrote for the first issue, and I came on staff for the second issue. And I was there for uh, the 100th issue. I did a... Uh, I, did, uh, I, I ate 100... No, I, I, did, I ranked the top 100 dessert, restaurant desserts in New York. So this is pre-blog. You ate, you ate 100 I ate 150, different ones? I ate 157... Uh, restaurant desserts. Um, I was going through a, a breakup, so I think I was losing my mind a little bit, and I was... Uh, it was your I, comfort. I was finding comfort. <laughs> yeah. And uh, not sanity, but finding comfort Do you remember back what stood out? I mean, was it like the dessert at Le Cirque? Or? There was. It's funny you say Le Cirque. I actually went with uh, Pete Wells, who was writing for us at the time, and we went. We had lunch. Pete at, was at Time Out New York? Well, he was a freelancer. A freelancer. Then, yeah. Um, and uh, he and I had uh, lunch, a kind of lovely lunch at the um Le Cirque in the, in the old uh, New York Palace was it yeah um and at the end uh 
uh, I guess it was Jacques Torres at the time, who was yep. the, the pastry chef there. And he sent out, so we were going places and having every dessert on the, on the menu. But that, the menu um, at Le Cirque is the size of the food menu. Exactly. So menu. we ate all of those. Jesus. Uh, and um, and I rem- one of the ones that I loved and put on, I think I ended up putting on the, on the top 100, which is a lot, um, was this uh, a banana tart. And I, I loathe bananas. I hate bananas. And I was just, it impressed me that someone could make uh, something made out of something I hate taste and, pretty good. And you were able to eat it. I, I was, I'm, yeah, I'm not allergic. I just. Do you them. ever go fishing or fish? Is For it? bananas? No. Uh, do I fish? Yeah. I, I'm not a fisher because person. Because your bananas on a boat are bad luck. Oh, That's okay. That's a whole separate oh, okay. story. Well, All right. then I, if I know where to go then. If yeah. I, I want to make sure I don't find any bananas. All right, so you leave Time Out New York. I got a job. Uh, I started writing for GQ magazine, Good and uh, and I and I uh, the opening uh, came up there, and I got a job as a staff writer there, and I wrote about everything from you know pants to murder to do book reviews to uh, and I, I would every story I would try to get them to send me somewhere uh, where I could eat. And so even if the story wasn't about eating, I would try to get them to send me somewhere where there were good restaurants and where I could, I could eat. And, um, and then I was there for five years and did some food writing, not a lot. Alan Richmond was the, you Very know, well established. the, the alpha food, right. food writer at the time there. Right. My first day, he introduced me to everyone as the backstabber. He had claimed I'd come to take his job. But that never happened. Uh, first day on the work, you made the guy paranoid. It was, <laughs> yeah. That's good. Yeah, he's still. I think he's still writing for the magazine. He's 170 years old now. And yeah, he's a real. Uh, I still see some pieces. By yeah, him. No, no, no. he's he's yeah. uh, he's still he's still plugging away. He's great. Um, and so I was there for five years, and I left uh, to go freelance, and I accidentally uh, stayed a freelance travel and food writer for um, 11 years, wow. which is way too long to do something like that. Um, but I, I spent most of that time. I wrote about different things. I would still do some celebrity stuff or style stuff or, or sort of general. You, you wrote about some pretty high profile celebrities. I did. Well, McConaughey. Yeah, I used to do Farrell. some some uh, some uh, details, which is now sadly shed. Uh, I did some some of their sort of. Uh, Can I just covers. tell you one thing? Yeah. I worked at the Soho Weekly News. Okay. In the late seventies, and a lot of the people from Soho. Left and started details, Annie right. and David and all those. It was guys. down. To, it was on Broadway, right? But it, it was, yeah, it morphed into a more commercial magazine. Yeah, when Condé Nast bought when it, when they bought it, yeah, yeah, moved it moved it to Midtown. Um, but during so for most of those eleven years, I was writing food stories that were travel stories or travel stories that were food stories, but generally trying to keep it in the you know going places and eating good stuff. Were the any of the James Beard awards in that period? Yeah, all all of them were. They all were yeah. in, in technically your freelance period. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I was nominated once when I was at um GQ for a, actually it was a three-part story. I wrote part of it, Alan Rich wrote part of it and uh, Adam Rappaport, who's at Bon Appetit now, wrote the other part, and we were nominated and we lost, and uh, <laughs> it's, it was it was rough, but we survived. So you won in thirteen and in two thousand fourteen, right? I know I won in thirteen because uh, yes, right, because uh, because my daughter was born the next day, right. So I have uh, in my notes hard to forget that particular weekend. You did a story on ramen in search of. Uh, 
ramen and a rosé trip to Bandol. Do you remember those? Yeah, that's, this is why they give you a medal for this sort of, you know, hard, <laughs> hard-hitting a rose hard trip to Bandol. Well, obviously uh, you said something right. Uh, yeah, I do, uh, the, um, the ramen story was in Fukuoka in the south of Japan, and, um, and that's a story where you, I was thinking, you know, instead of having these long, multi-course meals, it's just a bowl of soup, so I could hit three, four restaurants a night and then you know you land in the second one you're sweating profusely <laughs> and you're dizzy and your body starts by day two your body starts to revolt and uh yeah there was a lot of ramen uh that for that one the other one was uh i don't i don't think i won for the rosé one though no no i i always but thank you for bringing it up because i always thought i should yeah there you go <laughs> so 11 years couple of james beards in there then what happens uh, then, so I, I the, the daughter who was born the day after uh, uh, winning a couple of them, um, I, it's not that I did it to exhaustion, but I did try to travel a lot, and I and I tried to sort of I would I would string together stories, and I would be away from home for a long time, and that was fine when I was single right. uh, or Your life changes. without kids, yeah. And I just I didn't want to be uh, you know on a pretty beach somewhere facetiming my kids and trying to explain that i'm writing again hard-hitting journalism about how pretty this beach is or how good this sandwich is so it's um, time to get a real job so it's time to get a real job and i managed to convince someone uh at uh um jeff bartikovics who started tasting table uh hired me to be the editorial director of that and that was a great gig because it was a mixture of stuff i knew about which was how to tell stories and and put together stories about food and and food culture and some stuff i didn't know about which was managing people uh which was uh digital side of things and that was your first step into real digital right i mean of course any kind of writer now writes for if you write for print you also write for digital right but it was the first time later yeah i mean it's the first time i had thought about it from a editing standpoint or a business standpoint um and the other nice thing about tasting table was that we had a really lovely test kitchen and it uh, allowed me a chance to sort of bring people who I admired in. We did a book party for Rene Redzepi when his book came out. Um, from Noma. From Noma. Little known place. Who just closed his restaurant down, right? Well, they're just, they're, they're, the they're location. Renovated. Yeah, they're moving. Right. They're moving. Right. Yeah, a couple weekends ago. So you're at Tasting Table for how long? I was there for not quite two years. Two years. And longer. you went on to. Savour. I so hope I tasting, pronounced that correctly. I was going to ask you: Is it Savour? What are what are? <laughs> let's go through the potential. <laughs> oh no! Yeah, savor, I get, I get, savor, yeah, I get, I get Savour. Sa- I get Savior a lot. Which savior, sounds, yeah, a little more uh, reverential than we need. Um, so that we continue the show on the right track. It's Savour. I, yeah, that's okay. Good, that's as good as I can do it. Okay, I'm from Kentucky, so so you got to Savour in late 2014. So you're, very end of 2014. Yeah, yeah, so you're you're already into a couple of years and a few cycles and all of that. All right, so I want to talk to you about the magazine a little. You recently said in your editor's notes, <clears throat> you said with all the events happening in the past year, and I mean the election and the world and all of that. You said oh, we, I didn't mean that. I didn't mean. <laughs> Yes, you did. <laughs> You're reading between the lines. No, I'm not. <laughs> you said we read the news, we wonder at the state of things, and we seek comfort in familiar, familial nourishing rituals. Yeah. So my question is, and I think this is what you led into and what you were alluding to, 
why is food so important to people? I know it's a very general question, yeah. but you know, you're a food magazine and there's a mission statement and a goal. Right. Why, you know, tell me your take on that. Yeah, I mean, speaking for me as as a person and not necessarily the on behalf of the brand, um, you know, you could you could obviously just have food as fuel. You could just eat to stay sustenance, sustenance to stay alive and and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, if if that's your uh, how how you but it's born. more interesting than that. I just think it's the it's the only thing that that we sort of think of as part of culture that's that intimate that you put it into your body. That if you're feeding someone, if you're making food for someone, you're giving something that they ingest, and it affects how they feel for, at that moment. It affects how they feel later. It affects their health. Um, there's also the the social side of it that. Uh, when you sit down to eat with people, um, you know you are. You're, it's an intimate setting. It's and it's a way to sort of be with people in a way that's different than just uh, sitting around a table and not having any uh, food or drink between you. Um, and I think if you like to, if you if you like to think about food and where it comes from, and you happen to like to cook, then then it's a whole other dimension where you you want to spend time with the people who make it. You want to think about where it comes from. I get a lot of pleasure just from being in the in the kitchen. In in, in that editor's letter that you referred to, uh, quoted from, I, I I was talking about making stock. You're, you're stock obsessive of the yeah, moment. Yeah, I need a bit. I live in Brooklyn, so I need a bigger freezer. I need to get a, a chest freezer for the basement. But um, but uh, you know that there's something. So every bone you have, I and save, carcass, yeah. you're saving it. Yeah, and you're yeah. making stock. I wait till the guests leave, and I pick right. all the chicken bones off there. Off there. <laughs> so you make um, stock with used bones? Yeah, you know? I don't know if that okay. that's not suburb, That's not an official. <laughs> no, no, test kitchen that. approved technique. I'm not trying right. to get you fired. Uh, no, I, I mean, but there's something about even if you're not. I like to throw a dinner party. I like to cook for friends. I like to cook for my family. But I also just like if once the kids go to bed to have some little project that I can kind of do from muscle memory and not really think about it, lose myself in the in the activity of a little bit. And then you get something that is going to be delicious, hopefully, later. Right. And it, it you know pays dividends down the road. I've followed you on Instagram, and I would say you're a fairly experimental eater. You, oh, eat you, yeah. you would eat the organs of a lot of animals. Yeah, I mean, hopefully they're not you, walking around still. But yeah, and they uh, anything well, but a banana, anything but a banana. Right. This is why I'm going to be on the right. on a boat soon. Like a skewer of yakitori chicken hearts is fine versus I like, uh, I banana. Like, yes, I like uh, any, day, any day. Now, also, you built in your house in Brooklyn. You built a wood burning fire grill which is not typical right for those of you listening outside the brooklyn do not try this at home area that's not most apartments are not outfitted with wood burning what uh, what compelled you to do that uh so we were renovating a place we got very lucky and found a a a house that we could a wreck of a house that we could uh afford to to um spend a long way too long and too much money renovating it in the kitchen where we put the kitchen there was a wall that had a hole behind the wall so there had been a fireplace we knew and i was thinking all right let's open this up we could only afford to open up one of the one of the there's another one in the living room so if we're going to open one let's do it in the kitchen because there's something so nice about a hearth about fire in the kitchen and even before i thought about cooking and then i thought all right let's let's bring it up to sort of you know uh waste level so we could cook on it and then it was right about the time that um ben from uh grill works was starting to make some uh Get get some notice in restaurants and start to put his 
uh, grills, which are the ones these cranks that go up and down, right. sort of a South American style. Like Parias. Yeah, Parishas, exactly. Yeah, right. I was how trying not to say that because I don't know how right. to pronounce it. Um, and uh, and I called him up and I said, "Is this? Can you do this in a in a in a home?" And he said, "Sure." And uh, so after a lot of conversation between, back and forth between him and and our contractor, it was kind of suspicious of the whole thing. Uh, <laughs> and my girlfriend was very suspicious of the whole thing. Um, we decided to put this in and it's, it's fantastic. It's, I mean, it's, it's essentially just a piece of metal that goes up and down in a fireplace, but, but it's, it's wood burning, right? It's wood burning wood or charcoal. We put a, we put a exhaust fan on the, on the right. chimney so that it would help with the draw, but it, it already has a pretty good draw. So in the suburbs where I'm from, you barbecue year round because right. a ribeye tastes better on a barbecue. Absolutely. Maybe in a cast iron skillet, but I'd rather, <laughs> Do you forego the barbecue for that? Cause yeah, it, that is my have, barbecue. You don't I mean, have to barbecue in the Yeah, backyard. that is my barbecue. <laughs> I use it for, I use it year-round. I try to use it at least once a week. Um, and it's, once you, I mean, I, I, I've been in, I'd been living in Manhattan for 20 years before I moved to Brooklyn. Ain't no barbecue there. I had, yeah, I had a couple little, you know, tiny, tiny, tiny terraces with tiny, tiny barbecues on them. But I wasn't. I didn't have a lot of grilling experience, so it's a re- it was, there was a real learning curve. Have you come to the point where you're starting to perfect? I mean, I'm not going to go up with like you know uh, against uh, some Argentinian no, master or something. Can but you I, do you have a preference? Let's say to hickory wood versus no, cherry, I, or you're I, not there. I, I I I think I'm I think I'm pretty good at uh, using touch and sense and smell and and, and right. sight. Uh, to see if if stuff is done, and I and I I really get a kick out of uh, trying to I end up doing whole meals there. So I'll grill bread and put something grilled on that, and then That's do great. a big piece of protein, and then the vegetables, and then while we're eating dinner, put some fruit or something, and right. let it get smoky. And but I, I I don't I've tried different woods. I don't I don't it doesn't I don't matter. know it does. Yeah. I mean it does, but it I don't does, I don't have it. a strong strong preference. Right. For it. All right, let's talk about the magazine a little. Sure. So. Savor is a, a food and lifestyle magazine. I said earlier it's travel, home, beverage, and all of that. How does the magazine differentiate itself from other food magazines? Because there's some well-known people in the space, so you sure. want to yeah, and I, get your imprint and, out there. And I, you know, I like all our you know competitors right. and friends, uh, both the people who run them and the and the uh, and the and the Some products good people. Yeah, um, I think you know Savor our our place in the in the food media landscape, and it's 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 changed a lot since the magazine was founded in '94. I mean, you think about you know, pre pre food blog, um, really before this explosion of, of interest in food and food media. Um, I think now what we do really well is tell stories and where we give context and we have stories with voice and while we give recipes i mean it's a food magazine it's not every issue is sort of full of you know something to make on a on a wednesday evening when you've got six the minutes. recipes wrap around the stories i think in so a lot yeah. of ways. but the stories are very in-depth yeah we you know the line i always use is that we follow food to its source and we we want to know context we want to know the personalities behind things we want to just tell good stories and so uh, i think you know you could be a civil reader and 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 read different food magazines or or you know your your pick of uh, online uh, food outlets. But f- what we try to do is is really have real voice, real sense of place, beautiful photography, and and give people some some context for what they're eating. I was reading the current issue on the plane coming back from the Charleston Wine and Food Festival, 
and you know, I was reading the story on poor tea. tea. Yeah, I'm like, I gotta get some of this, yeah. but it seems like it's going to be de- very difficult. It's expensive, but that's a. It's it was about tea from China, very far away, obscure. I think that sort of tells the way the magazine is. It think, gets into yeah. a story that's exotic in that one, and if in you, depth, right? And if you if you told me. Here, if you showed me a story that it was sort of a tasting notes on tea or a comparison of tea or the business or the, you know, just tea story, I, I'm not a big tea drinker. Um, but when Max Falkowitz, who wrote it, uh, started talking to me about the story, he's talking about this, you know, beautiful part of the world, this sort of swashbuckling uh, subculture of people who are sort of secretive about where they source the tea, the way that the tea, this this explosion of interest in this thousands of year old product has changed the economy there. They've gone from you know uh, small hand built homes to sort of McMansions in right. in a half a generation, and um, it's just this story that you know could run in a it could run in, in the New Yorker or Harper's or the economist or you know it's it's not it's a food story but right. you don't have to go into it loving tea to be taken you know along for the ride and it it turned out to be a really cool story it was a cool story and there was a little sidebar about teas so yeah, you're about done the packaging with it or it's about like the, what is this made. where do i get it can right. i and it, it right. talks about that so that that sort of leads me to how do you select stories i mean you have a big world a lot of food sure. I mean that's a pretty obscure. Not tea's not an obscure topic, but right. that type of tea in Yunnan, China, right. or wherever it was. Right, tea's huge, but you know half, how do you half the population of the planet? How do you select stories? I mean, do you know what you're doing for your November issue? What, what some stories? How do you decide? You know, I think uh, you try to do a mix of uh, reaching out to uh, writers you you know and admire, see what they're interested in. I'm a recovering writer first before I'm an editor, so I, I, I trust writers. I want to trust writers. I want to know what they've seen. You know, we're uh, we're we get around all, all of us on staff, but so but they pitch you. So yeah, you, you're listening. You're, you're talking. You're, you're soliciting pitches, uh, and then you're also thinking, okay, what what haven't we written about? Um, you know, what parts of the world haven't we visited in a while? And then explicitly or not you're i think you're sort of thinking about what's in the zeitgeist what's you know if we've done copenhagen what's happening in oslo or if we've done tea is there you know did did max the writer find some uh, a food story along the way and then it just becomes about uh figuring out the mix you know you you don't want to do too much of one type of food you don't want to do too much of one region um you don't want to feel like you're doing something because it follows the trends but you also don't want to do something that you feel is five years too late um, Do you feel it's not important for the magazine to follow trends? I, to some extent, it would be yes, but do you feel there are, you kind of follow your own way? I think, yeah, I think you want to be timely and you want to be on top of what, or, you know, a little ahead of what uh, people are thinking about and talking about, but you don't want to be, um, feel that you have to follow a trend because then you're going to be behind it and also the fact that it's trending in bushwick or it's trending in right. baltimore or, or wherever it doesn't maybe lend itself to a great story so i think story first um you know can uh, our our audience is obviously our reader can we inform and 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 delight and get them to keep reading a story 
Um, but the trends, you, you want to be, you want to know what's happening in the world, but you don't want to feel like you're just kind of hitting notes because you, you've seen them on menus across the so country. So answer two questions for me. The first one is, has anyone ever pitched you a story? That, on air? Not on air. I'm not. <laughs> pitch, you know, one of your writers pitched you a story that you were unsure of, but bought in. But turned and out it okay. either blew up or good or bad, <laughs> you know, uh, that you regret. I, I'll, I'll leave the regrets uh, to uh, off-air comments. But, um, yeah, you never know. I mean, I, again, I, I, I come at the, I'm a, a peculiar editor in that I spent most of my career as a writer. I, I, I trust that, that writers you trust and, and voices you like, that they're out there finding this stuff. And so you want to you build in room you want to leave room for kind of the joy of discovery in a story. You don't want to feel like you've, you've edited it or you've, you've assigned it to a point where there's nothing for them to find out. Right. Um, on the other hand, travel is expensive. Uh, you know, we, we pay our writers a fair, uh, rate. And so, uh, you want to make sure they come back with something. Um, so certainly, I mean, I tease on my mind cause you mentioned it, you know, I, I was hoping tea would be an interesting, interesting story because it was a, compelling pitch but i was really glad that you know with how it was an interesting in. story and that's something where i didn't that's a part of the world i, I didn't know and a and a, a a subject i'm not inherently right you know knowledgeable or interested in so the that sec- was a happy surprise the second question was did you do a story way ahead of a trend like the tea story you know poor tea yeah. could be <laughs> yeah. you know is there an example you could cite where you were on something 10 months a year before and then at Savor or just as a writer at Savor yeah um, you know I've only been there for a short time so who knows if this, the trend is gonna, right. gonna hit um, I can't think of something where we were sort of you know predicted it right. um, coconut water or whatever yeah. I don't know yeah I mean we, we did a story uh a couple issues ago about um, the the uh, campaign to bring uh, to to uh, cultivate breadfruit, as uh, there is a breadfruit institute in Hawaii, and there's a there's a push to sort of it never went away, but to really bring it back into the mainstream of of the of the diet there, both for um, health reasons and sustainability reasons, and that's one of those things that you know it, it, we felt like it was a, a compelling story. And then we'll know, you know, in a couple of years if they were successful with right. that. Or right, it'll, it'll take time. Um, I want to talk to you about digital and mainstream media because you're fairly well prepared to talk about it. Because I think your tenure at Tasting Table and you know all your other gigs that you mentioned um, is there a divide between digital and mainstream media? And when you say ha- mainstream, you mean like print magazine, or print magazines, yeah. yeah. And you know, has digital changed publishing? Oh yeah. Has how has it affected Savor your experience specifically? I think I mean I think the a broader issue is that when people talk about food writing or food media, we talk about it like it's this monolithic thing, but it's actually it's an umbrella that covers, you know, restaurant criticism, it covers talking about sustainability, politics, recipes, uh, restaurant cultures, celebrity chefs, um, you know, the history of, of cuisines. So the nice thing about, uh, you know, the magic of the Internet is that you can reach all that you can talk about all those things. And then if you're a server reader who uh, is interested in remodeling their kitchen, you can find something about style and design. If you don't care about that at all, you can skip that. Whereas in print, if if we give, 
you know, real estate to something that is going to alienate a specific kind of reader or we or we change up the, you know, the the character of the mix and people see something they're not expecting, that can lead to some uh, unhappy uh, letter writers. Which so it expands what you can to. cover in a different offering. I think it just, yeah, it just broadens what you can do. I mean, I, I think the, the challenge for any publication or any brand or any editor these days is to have what you do across platforms feel true to the brand, but also right for the platform. So who we are and the tone of voice and the, you know, the, the, every little granular thing isn't going to be the same in print or Instagram right. or Twitter or Facebook or Pinterest or uh, web, but it should be coherent. It shouldn't be, you know, six or seven different voices that right. don't seem to hang together at all. I find that a lot of the food magazines online for many years before I was reading Savor and met you, sort of a database for recipes. There's a lot of that, yeah. You, and there's you know, a, and, it, and it sounds like you're telling me and and acting out, and I've seen it. You use the digital platform to expand the brand. Absolutely, yeah. And there, and and digital will always be better at that. You know, when when Silver launched 23 years ago, you get you got it in your physical mailbox. There, you couldn't be if we, there was a story about Corsican cuisine or whatever it was. You know, you read it and you'd either like the recipes or not, but you'd save the issue, hopefully. Right. Um, and now if you're standing in line in the supermarket and you want to know about, you know, Corsican cuisine, you look Go at your, your phone, phone and there are 100,000 options. It's crazy. It's always going to be a better, you know, format or medium for, for it's a library like that. All right. So this is a wine show. We have to talk about wine a little. A little, sure. I don't have to come over there it. and put you in a headlock and make <laughs> you talk about wine. So a little earlier, I asked you why food is so important, yeah. just as a category. Same question, you know, well, wine. wine. I mean, yeah, I, I think there's similarities. Yeah. But I mean, I, I it's tell so, me how you. It's see so it. hard to not hit every cliche that you know, wine is culture. That wine is it's it's communal. It brings people together. It goes well with food. So if there's something that you know is a compliment to food. Uh, it just makes eating better, but you know the other side of it, it makes you happy. Right. Um, I, there was a period when I got into food and I thought, okay, I'm going to be, I'm going to be into food, but I'm just going to just steer clear of wine because it's this rabbit hole of of, of specializing and, and detail, and I'm not good with numbers and math, and I'll never remember if it tastes like shoe leather or <laughs> bootstrap or dried cherry or kumquats or whatever. whatever. Yeah, um, and. And then, if you're, I've been very lucky to eat, uh, you know, been treated to a lot of meals, or found myself at a lot of nice uh, dinners and meals, and 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 slowly you're introduced to all this wine. wine is a critical part of that. You yeah. love it, yeah, and you seek it out. Uh, I still definitely don't consider myself a wine expert, but do you know I, what you like? Yeah, I do. All right, we're going to get into that later. But w wine is an agricultural product, right? So when we talk about food. You know, wine has similarities as far as sustainability, growing farmers, and all Absolutely. of that. And it's also a very social thing. Um, and it's got culture behind it. It's got story. I mean, that's... Some of it goes I, way back. I can't... Uh, my eyes will glaze over if I, if I read, you know, numbers. But if you tell me the story about the winemaker or the region and how it got that way, I love, I love those kinds of stories. So there are magazines called Food and Wine, you know, other magazines that cover it. You cover wine. To the extent that you want to. I mean, how do you determine your wine coverage? You I know? think it really comes down to, again, to, to stories. So, I, you know, I think 
one of the conversations that we have, and, and I don't know if it's something that you think about for the show, uh, is that, you know, how do you know, how do you gauge your readers or your audience's level of connoisseurship or lack thereof? How do, where, where are they in, you know, in their wine knowledge or experience? And so how do you tell a story that is doesn't go over their head but doesn't condescend to them or doesn't bore them or doesn't tell them a story that you know the how do you find that you know so I, how do you I, define I the, that fine line i think the 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 cover and the defense mechanism is just is to default to or to make sure that whether it's a wine that you're familiar with as a reader or it's new to you if it's if it's told with story if there's narrative if there's personalities if there are scenes if there are, if there's a sense of um, of geography and place, and not just talking about soil structure and sugar, you know, percentages. Then, if it's a well told story, you can, you know, I love I love when a magazine will, you know, like the New Yorker, when you're on a plane and you've run out of every, you've read every story that you thought you were going to read, and and you're, you can't use your phone, so you read like the story about dance for me. Like I would never seek out right. a dance column, right. but a well told dance column is right. a well told story. So well told story, um, and not to compare dance to. Wine. but i think again like just to have great stories have and get at get at why this wine is important to the people who 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 uh who find it interesting and exciting so in our next segment we do a thing called the weekly wine sip savor has a curated wine club called savor selects when we taste the wine you know we'll talk a little about it um but before we move into our wine list tell me a couple things tell me and i don't know if this is a silly question current trends in food and wine i mean what do you see out there it sort of relates to how do you pick stories i mean right what's i like what, I mean, what, I, what, what are you looking forward at i i think uh you know i think with from a edit, editor's perspective or from when we're trying to think of stories it's it's definitely easier if you're telling me about a a region that that you know is getting some acclaim that hadn't gotten any interest before or if it's up, up and coming region good current we, example do you have one oh I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Past one? <laughs> oh, is it like Corsica or Sicily yeah, or Georgia um, in, in Eastern Europe? Yeah. Stuff like that, right? Yeah, we had a story uh, by a writer named Adam Golner a few months ago about uh, Armenian wine. And Armenia is an interesting place because it's one of one of the Ancient. Birth, birthplaces right. of wine. There's a cave there that the writer visited that has not the first winery, but part uh, some, some relics of... of the earliest known relics of wine uh, storage. Right. Um, I think it's clay. Yeah. The big clay amphora, urns and all that. Um, and it's... Uh, amphora. Amphora, yeah. That's it. And it's a cool story because now they're, they're you know, 1,000, 6,000 years later or so, they're, uh, they're making wine there again. And they're, and the wine industry is sort of coming back. So there's a current event side of it. There's, a, there's something you can go out and buy a bottle of it or you will be able to buy this stuff soon. Um, so I think that's a kind of perfect story because you've got history and right. culture and narrative. Um, I, 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 I uh, disagree with some of my French uh, fine dining friends. I really like uh, biodynamic wines and funky wines. And, uh, you know, if, if it's weird and got chunks in it, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty interested in it. Uh, I don't know if that means I'm, you know, what that says no, about my, my taste. Or since I've been doing the show, Brooklyn is a pretty big hub for organic biodynamic wines. The Four Horsemen, June, Ten Bells Company in the city. I mean, yeah. these guys feature it. There's a bunch of stores and all of that. Yeah, I'm headed Isabel to a wine Legero dinner at Contra after this. Right, which is they I love were that they stuff. were down. Yeah, 
the um, the raw wine festival was in Brooklyn. So there are a lot of people who support it, and some people, you know, who just shrug it off. But and it's, I like that, and I will. I would happily have that, and then have, you know, whatever uh, gold standard of of the greatest, you know, Cali Cole French, French Bordeaux. Yeah, or yeah. 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 I, I, I like both of them. I like those. Have uh, you done any stories on natural, organic, biodynamic wines that you could recall in the last couple of years? Uh, so we're not. As a trend, um, it's certainly there are winemakers who've come up in the stories, right. but not as kind of a uh, as its own standalone story. Do you feel it's a trend, or it's? I think it's established. Already. It's established, but yeah. I think you know it's it like a lot of you know there are still magazines out there telling people it's okay to drink rosé. So what's established <laughs> in some circles is is still kind of uh, you know news to to others. Um, no, I think it's something that maybe what's interesting about it is that it's getting a little more mature and that. People are differentiating between, you know, the folks who can do really good and interesting things and yeah. the folks that are, some of it's just novelty and doesn't work. There's a lot of cheerleaders, Pascaline, Le Pelletier, um, Caleb, Ganser. I mean, there are a bunch of people, Justin Cherno at Four Horsemen. Right. I mean, these guys are good spokespeople for that. Absolutely. Tell me a few, and then we're going to break for our wine list. Tell me a few food people that are doing it right. Food I mean, people are doing. Is it, right. it chefs? Or you know, oh, are there advocates? So many. Like I, I always know. see Jose Andres always doing, you know, charitable stuff. I mean, does anything hit your radar? Oh gosh, that's a hard question because there are so many uh people out there doing good stuff. I um I'm I'm trying to think of who's impressive out there. I mean I just randomly off the top of my head, there's a guy named uh, Blaine Wetzel I did a uh, profile of last year who uh you know, I don't know if we were. You asked if we did anything that was ahead of the curve. I don't know if this is ahead or not. Uh, but he has a restaurant called the Willows Inn on Lummy Island in the Pacific Northwest, and it's just one of the more beautiful meals I've, I've, I've had all year for all sure. All local and everything sustainable. And yeah, but it's also. Um, I think what's happening in food that's exciting right now is that uh, whether it's you know the South uh, with. You know what Sean Brock has done there, or what uh, Renee and his team at Noma have done for, you know, getting attention for Nordic cuisine. There's now this next or the next after that interesting generation where they're making, they're learning from all that, but they're able to do. Uh, they don't have to be purist about it, and they can do food that's that's very personal and curious. And those, weird those are and, great examples. Um, I mean, know, nobody even talks about Ferry and Adrian anymore. He's like an old fart or something. Well, he's not an old fart, but he no. They talk about it with with reverence, with you know, they yeah, elderly clothes. But he's I meant he's less top of mind than he was. Yeah, he's still think, legendary. Yeah, I think that I mean someone like that that had such a massive influence. There's bound to be you know people are looking for the. People like me and the people who get into uh, traveling to eat or looking at rankings or, you know, it like to think about what's happening, what's the, what's the zeitgeist. They're always looking for the next thing. Right. All right. We're going to take a quick break. We're talking to Adam Sachs. Adam is the editor-in-chief of Savor magazine. When we come back, we're going to subject Adam to our wine list. And then we're going to taste the Savor Selects Petite Syrah. So you're listening to The Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. Do you love craft beer? The diversity of styles and flavors? 
the stories of small brewery businesses and the communities behind today's craft beer movement? If so, you'll love craftbeer.com, published by the Brewers Association. Whether you tasted your first craft beer 30 years ago or just caught the bug last week, craftbeer.com is the number one destination for beer education, news, and recipes. Looking for a local brewery? Use the internet's most robust brewery finder to discover your new favorite place. Want to get geeky about your favorite beer style or find the perfect pairing for dinner? Craftbeer.com is the leading authority and can help. Celebrate the best of American beer. Visit craftbeer.com today. All right, we're back. We're back with Adam Sachs. Adam is the editor of Savor, editor in chief of Savor Magazine, and we are now we've now handcuffed Adam to his <laughs> chair, and we are going to subject him to our weekly wine list. It's hard to drink in handcuffs, but which I'm, I'm is a, figure it out. This is a series of questions. Answer them quickly. Don't dwell on them. All right. You see, when you ask me a direct question, I, I freeze up. I can't. Think I know. It. Jesus. You asked me the names of my children. I couldn't even. All right. I, I could narrow it down. I'm not going to ask you that. All right. So the first question is, what are you drinking now? Are you drinking any wine at the house? Is there anything you sort of got? Is it rosé? I mean, are you drinking a lot of Bordeaux? Do you remember drinking something currently? I drink a lot of uh, Morgan. I drink a lot of light reds. I like, I like something like a lot of people that we could put it in the fridge and get a little chill on it. Uh, Cru Beaujolais, Gamay, like Morgan. Yeah. That's great stuff. Uh, I like sparkling. I like. Uh, I live in a in, close to Thirst. Not to put in a plug, they're just people I like. Uh, thirst wine merchants and tend to go in and see what they're interested Let them in. Pick for you. Yeah. All right, so we don't ask people this, but, you know, you're a food guy. What are you eating now? Is there something? And I think the answer is stock. <laughs> Just right? stock. But, I mean, you're making stock. But is there something yeah. you keep going back to that you've been eating a lot of in the last few months? I, I uh, see, I knew I would. Uh, I can't even remember what I had for, for lunch. Um, I like, again, I have this, this uh, crazy grill in my house. So I like to make things on fire. So okay. I, I do whole fish or I... To uh, 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 pork rack and 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 let it cook for a few hours and keep it you know uh, high up and get let it get a lot of smoke. Um, so the answer is, you know, good use of the grill, whatever makes sense. On I the went grill. I went hunting the my first time. Well, it's not, it was shooting. I went shooting. I didn't go, I didn't hunt because uh, we, we weren't really walking. But uh, we shot pheasant, um, and so I made pheasant rillettes, and that's very satisfying. On the wood grill? No, just um, I did. I, I, Grilled the the pheasant. It's hard. There's not a lot of fat. Yeah. It's a, um, so no. That I just cooked it down in uh, in a mixture of uh, olive oil and duck fat. I have a I have a fridge full of duck confit right now. <laughs> I'm re- okay. Oh, see, it takes me a little while, but then I remember it's coming I'm back. Right? Into, yeah. I've I, I been. I did a dinner I have party. Eight pounds of duck confit <laughs> fat in my. Oh, I love it. Yeah. I had. Uh, we did a dinner party and. I, um, with some friends recently, and I, I wanted. I made everyone eat. Um, 
uh, confit duck necks and goosenecks. I, I realized I had about 10 duck and goosenecks in my freezer. There's this tender meat around the bone, That's great. right? It's yeah, like, but you have to pick them up and it gets messy. It's like, yeah, and there's not a ton, but you bite around them. Yeah. yeah, and then I made little, uh, little puy lentils, those little. Uh, French lentils with um, I also confit the gizzards and cut them up so there was all and it just just swimming in duck fat so alright so think about that and you may have answered this but favorite wine and food pairing so are we, we are we allowed to swear on this show is this a family you show you can say whatever you fucking want I, I know <laughs> thank you I I know I know that this is uh, sacrilegious and I know that uh, you know you, you, you get letters and they're going to pick at the show or pick at Savar but I think pairing is bullshit. I'd love, I love to drink wine with food, um, but I don't like to think too much about the combination. Some work better than others. Some don't. But every time someone stops and, and, and says, okay, do you, you, know, do you get it? Do you, are you, are you so feeling it? The magic, the electricity? People are overthinking I it. I think they're overthinking I, I'm it. I'm not disagreeing with you. I, there's obviously <laughs> some that, that there's, a, there's a harmony there, and sometimes you get fireworks. But a lot of times I feel like I'd rather just eat and drink and have things that generally go nicely together. You're not overthinking it. Great answer. I accept that. Thank you. All right. Favorite wine restaurant and or bar? Um, New York City. Yeah. And then give me one anywhere from your travels. And I'm asking you about a restaurant because this is a wine show that has a lean towards. Of course. I like, you know, I mentioned the Contra boys earlier. I like Wild Air a lot. Contra and Wild Air. I think Wild Air is just, it's, it's the way I like to eat right now. It's, it's thoughtful without being fussy. Jorge's always got a magnum of something crazy hidden behind his back. And he's just, you know, it just appears. The wines are are fascinating. Uh, That's a restaurant that makes me really happy right now. I think that's a great answer and sort of epitomizes the question. And And, they actually do wine and food pairing there. Jorge thinks about it. (laughs) But they don't, they don't, they don't make you think they don't. Yeah, they do. They don't make you think. No, no, no. I'm joking a little. um, They, They do it sort of. Seamlessly, yeah. You don't have to stop and yeah, chew and swallow and look. What about it. anything in your travels that was an oh wow? I, I another place that sort of if you, it's not. Uh, they have a little bit of food. There's a place in Copenhagen called Vedstraden Ten or something. I think uh, it's a natural wine bar. It's V E D S T R A D E N. I think two words. Vedstraden Ten. I think Ten is the is the address. Um, that stood out to you? Yeah, it's just a fun place. That it's uh, they they've got um, they love wine and they love sort of it has the same sort of uh, uh, I don't know that kind of excitement that Wild Air has. Right, uh, Manfred's in, in Copenhagen. I don't know why I'm stuck on Copenhagen, but just in well, it's my mind. become a food center. I love. I would say I, one of the happiest sort of meals with a lot of wine that I've had uh, in the last couple of years is um, Clown Bar in Paris. Yes, very um, cool just, place. Yeah, I, I love that spot. Everyone in New York in wine that goes abroad to the wine ends country up there. ends up there. <laughs> yeah. You know, you see Instagram, yeah. Patrick Capiello, John yeah. May, you know, they're all, Laura Maniac, they all wind up there. All right, maybe you can answer this. Favorite all-time wine. Is there a wine that you had through your years that was like oh my god see i i this you is, may not be that kind of guy i'm not I, exactly that guy. i like i you know we, i keep hitting this idea of story so i like you know i first started getting into food someone uh 
poured me some Domaine Tempier from Bendol. Great stuff. Then you read about it, and there's this connection to a kind of early uh, culinary food movement in California between Alice Waters and Richard Only in France, and all this, all this sort of, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, Kermit Lynch. And then when I did the uh, Rosé story, I went to Bendol because of that, and I, you know, got to uh, spend a little time there. And and so it's is that my is that the it's memorable best wine I've ever had? It's, no, but it's it's a it's a favorite sort of. It's memorable. I would, that, that, yeah, I, that makes me happy to drink, that, and I would always drink champagne. Champagne, champagne is the makes most me underrated. Even even as highly rated as it is, the problem is it's rated for the wrong thing. It's, it's rated it's as a, a celebratory. Right. I hate. I don't like flutes. Right. Uh, right. I don't want a flute. I want a wine glass full of of uh, you know sort of vintage champagnes that smells like sherry and is poured out of a bottle that's bigger than my daughter. So when you, I guess I'll use the word balked on the favorite <laughs> wine and food pairing. A lot I rejected of, the question. Uh, re- uh, rejected. <laughs> a lot of people in the past have said some interesting things with champagne. Champagne mm. and popcorn, champagne and fried chicken. Champagne is a sleeper with pizza. Yeah, you know it what basically goes, you know, yeah, with any food. What they're saying is they like champagne and they like fried chicken. Right. Those and it, it, things it, it happens to go well. Yeah. So we're okay with that. All right, last question on the wine list is tell me other writers you admire, you know, food. Food, wine, anything? Yeah. Oh, God. If for living, dead? I'm clearly buying time. Anywhere. <laughs> well, let's start I mean, with... my, fa- <laughs> my favorite, uh, you know, my, like, writing heroes who are not alive are, like, A.J. Liebling, who, you know, could write about Louisiana politics or boxing or horse racing or New York theater, but always talk about where he had lunch. And it, his food writing about Paris specifically... Uh, and New York was it was always came out of this sort of uh, the the joy of it and the indulgence of it and the pleasure of it um, and then the stories around it. Um, Anyone else? <laughs> um, I what like, about general writers? General writers? I mean, do you read a lot? Or are you? Too I can busy? read. I can read. No, I, I know you to, can read. Uh, do you read a lot, or you're just busy to sit down and pour? I mean, I think a like a, a lot of us, I, I, uh, I, I'm reading something constantly, but unfortunately, it's it's my phone a lot of the time. Right. It's not a book. I'm um, similar. I try to I, I try to read the the New York Review of books because I look smart if I carry it around even if I instead of reading the book you talk about the book yeah, read the information read, from the review you can read a review yeah, of I've a, tried to pull a, that a book of a, but it gives the, I mean that's the, the great sort of scam of that of that publication is that they get they take every interesting fact and put it right in the story it's the Cliff's Notes of it is current a, a book being, reviews uh, yeah. and all it'll get you through a dinner for conversation it's wonderful yeah I, I, would I ever read an entire history about American lighthouses no but I, that review of that was fascinating right that's all you need or that's, how trees that, communicate that's through a great roots. example because that's the topic is interesting but that's all you need to know yeah 400 pages of that I don't I don't have the time all right we're gonna move on and we're gonna move to our weekly wine sip every week we taste a different wine on air for our weekly wine sip this week adam brought in a savor selects wine club selection it's a 2014 petite Syrah from california <clears throat> just a little background petite Syrah is also known as duraf in europe and around the world and it's a tannic spicy plummy, you know, deep purple type wine. 
So we, Adam brought in the 2014, we poured it out, and Adam, let's drink it on the air and talk about it. Is there swirling music? No. Okay. You might want to get like a drum, uh, something like a... So, a drum <laughs> so color that's wise, fitting. That's fitting. color wise, it's a deep purple wine, which is typical of a uh, petite Syrah. Um, petite Syrah shouldn't be um, confused with Syrah. Right. This is spelled S I R A H. That's confusing. preceded by petite. Syrah is very big in Australia and the Rhone region. All right. So it's a, a deep purple. Um, the nose. I'm smelling into the microphone. The nose, you get that plummy, deep red fruit, some currants and all of that. And then let's let's give it a sniff one more time. Pick up anything else, Adam? Uh, no, it's a... Uh, yeah, so I'm, I already admitted I'm terrible with the wine All right, wine so talk, let's but... throw it over the tongue and let's see what we taste. <laughs> Is that the technical term? Mm-hmm. So the first thing is the mouthfeel. Mm. It's a fairly unctuous wine. It's I not a thin that. wine. It's got a medium to full body, which yeah. is nice. It's but it mouth- doesn't hit you in the face either. It's no, not it, it's, yeah. it's, it's mouth coating. It's not overstaying. It's welcome. Right. And I'll back you against the wall again. Are you picking anything up on the palate, flavor-wise? Uh, some uh, some berries. Some Definitely some, dark uh, berries. Dark berries. See, dark berries. Uh, I'm I'm flipping through my notes to see if there's any uh, cliff notes here. Uh, no, it's it's kind of warming and 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 berryish. It's not too jammy. It's nice. It is not too jammy, which is tiny nice. bit of pepperiness. Maybe I don't know. Definitely pepper. Yeah. Great call, and um, it is definitely plummy and berry like and all that. All right, so. I know you hate this question, but no. I got to ask you no. this: If you were going to pair this wine with something, do you see it with stuff like red meat or heavier foods? I think this could be great with red meat. I like a lot of people don't mind uh, uh, wine with with a uh, red wine with fish. Not at we're all. Sitting, right? We're we're adjacent to Roberta, so pizza is on my mind. Be good I think pizza this would be wine great with some sort of sausagey thing with a little bit of red pepper, red sauce. You know some. Uh, some red pepper flakes in there. Uh, yeah, I, I think this would this would be a pretty versatile wine. And one of the I mean, the idea of this wine club is to. Well, I wanted to talk to you yeah. about that. So let's talk about the wine club. It, it's it's set up through Savor. Um, you could buy four bottles or two bottles. So take it from there. Yeah, the idea is instead instead of um, you know going out and buying specific wines from from winemakers. Uh, and, and putting out there under their label, this is meant to be a little bit uh, where, where, the, where each bottle is kind of showing off a region or a grape, or you know, introducing people to Petite Syrah, for instance. Right. Um, and I think you get four bottles per shipment. Uh, it's seventy-five bucks each, and then we're going to introduce a two-bottle club for thirty-eight ninety-nine. And how um, does that work? You, it, it's not monthly, is it? Or it. Is you, six shipments a year. So you commit to six six, yeah. six shipments, the four bottles, or it'll go to yeah. two. Yeah, right. and the idea is each one is supposed to have a little story with it. So we send out some material with recipes, so there is some pairing Food there. Food pairing, so this, right. pa- this pairing isn't bullshit. Right. Uh, but, you know, we it's it's our content, it's subvert content, and it's, and it's you know, like the name implies, it's subvert selected. But the idea is, is not that we're going out and picking wines that you can... You know, we're competing with your wine store. It's to it's to sort of introduce you to 
an expression of wine or a grape or a region that maybe you're, you're unfamiliar with? Well, I could tell you a couple of interesting things. The four wines that are available in the club right now are Gewürz Tramonier, which is a great white wine from Germany and Austria. It actually goes well with Chinese food and other stuff. You don't see it around a lot, so it's interesting that it's one of the selections. The Petit Syrah, which is not your typical California red wine, you are doing a Viognier, which is a Rhone white varietal, which is a very fragrant, delicious wine. And, you know, people are used to Chardonnay, Sauvignon sure. Blanc. So the idea of introducing that. And then your only European selection is a Coteau Bourguignon, which is a French red uh, wine and all of that. So I think those are the four wines available. So if you're interested, you go to Savoir Selects. You I can mean, go to uh, Savoir.com backslash selects. Okay. Or if you just look up Savoir Selects. There's okay. a, we've got an Instagram account, too. Um, but, yeah, check it out. All right. So let's talk business a little. So for the wines, Savoir backslash selects, you'll get to the wine. Right. If people want to go online and get more info or stories from the magazine, Savoir.com? Savoir.com, yeah. Okay. And there's obviously wine coverage there. and Yeah, there's a treasure trove. of I, I went through it. There's a ton of wine okay. coverage. I mean, there's stories currently and that go back, and, you know, some of them are timeless. Um, and what else? We covered everything? <laughs> uh, I, I, we're done with the speed round. I, I can, I can we're done with the easy. speed round. You can relax. What do you think? Of the, is the wine opening up a little bit? Well, like that, you know, I always ask my guests, do we like this wine? Yeah. And that's a loaded question to you because if you don't like it, somebody's going to beat the shit out of you somewhere. <laughs> but leave it to me. I mean, I think for the price... You know, you're looking at four bottles of wine. You're looking at 20 and under. Yeah. One of the questions I ask my guests, mostly sommeliers, wine people, is give me a white and a red for under 15 bucks. And right. This is close to that price range. Absolutely. And I think with, it, with it sort of delivery. hits that. And, you know, Adam was involved in the selection, not of the grapes or whatever, but the mindset of, you know, what yeah. we're doing. We taste a fair number of wines and we're picking right. this over this and, and trying to pick what what is the, you know, I keep saying story, but what's the story that's going to be useful for right. four bottles? Right. Um, it, it, it's a great idea. So, Thanks. Savor backslash, Savor.com backslash selects. All right, we're wrapping up the show. If you have a question, a wine happening, or an event, hit me up at Sam at the Grape Nation. That's Sam at the Follow us on Facebook at the Grape Nation. Follow us on Twitter at Ben Ruby and on Instagram at S Ben Ruby. We had to put that S in there. I want to thank Adam Sachs, editor in chief of Savor Magazine, for coming in and talking about food, wine subjecting me to this Pinot Noir, me subjecting him to the uh, wine list. I want to thank our engineer, Vitor, and everyone at the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sam Ben Ruby, and you've been listening to The Grape Nation. for listening to heritage radio network food radio supported by you for our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on facebook instagram and twitter 
at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.